Hello, this is Kevin McMullen, Senior Pastor of Independence Christian Center. Thanks for joining us as we break the bread of life today. Our prayer is that your faith in our Lord Jesus Christ is strengthened by this word. God bless you. Glory to God. When I was in the Army, one of my drill sergeants, when giving instructions, used to say something on a fairly regular basis. And I don't know if all drill sergeants said this, but I know this one did. He said, let your conscience be your guide. Well, with some people, that's probably not, that's probably dangerous. But the fact is that as for those of us who are born again and have the Holy Spirit living within us, the conscience is a very, very, very crucial part of our walk. You know, when we can't talk about listening to God or being led by the Holy Spirit without talking about the conscience. The conscience, your conscience, is the voice of your human spirit. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that every one of us is tripartite just like God is. He is a spirit. We're a spirit. Believe it or not, God has a soul because he says so. He says, he who shrinks back, you know, uh, you know, well, you know, my soul will take no pleasure in him. And we know he has a body because Jesus is God in the flesh. I am a spirit. I have a soul and I live in a body. Now, each part of your being, your spirit, your soul and your body, each part has a distinctive voice. How many of you can readily identify the voice of the flesh? I'm pretty familiar with the voice of the flesh. The mind or the soul is where the intellect and emotions and will are. It's reason, it's logic, it's emotions. That's not the seat of conscience. Conscience is not logical. Conscience is not emotional. Conscience is spiritual in nature. In Titus chapter 1 In verse 15, it says, To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their mind and their conscience. Notice that Paul makes a differentiation between the mind and the conscience. And he says, When you're for the impure, both their mind and their conscience are defiled, which means polluted. Or corrupted. When our conscience becomes or is corrupted, it does not work well. And so we need to protect it. That's why he says over in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, I believe it is in verse 1. Let us cleanse ourselves therefore of all defilement, all corruption of the flesh and spirit. The fact is that, you know, that. We have to, you know, our conscience and mind are not the same. And they will at times argue with one another. 
How many of you have ever, how many of you have experienced, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Your soul and your, either your soul wants to do something or your flesh wants to do something. And, or your, and your soul is siding in with your flesh, but your conscience is going, no, 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 no. Or your conscience is going, yes, 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 yes. And your soul and your, and your flesh are going, no, no, no. I think, you know, God may have been appealing to uh, uh, Jacob's conscience when he reminded him of his vow. In Romans chapter 2 and verses 14 and 15, we're still talking about the conscience here. For when the Gentiles who do not have the law, who don't have the word of God, instinctively do the things of the law, these not having a law are a law to themselves in that they show the work of the law written on their or written in their what? Their hearts, their conscience bearing witness and their thoughts. So when the conscience begins to talk to us, thoughts float up out of our spirit, alternately accusing or else defending them. How many of you, how many of you have had your mind come after you, but in your conscience, you knew you had done what was right or your flesh is complaining, or maybe it's the other way around. Your mind and your soul are, you know, are, are, Hey, we, you know, we, we've got this covered and your conscience is going, no, no, that's the accusational part of it. All right. And so Hebrews 10 and 22 says this, let us draw near with a sincere heart, a heart that has without rocks, in it, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. What is an evil conscience? An evil conscience is a conscience, a conscious that or conscience that is weighed down by the things that we have allowed to get in. All right, where we have violated it. An evil conscience on our bodies washed with pure water. Now I want to go back to Romans chapter 2 and verses 14 and 15 again. Because we need to, this will bear a little bit uh, greater scrutiny. When the Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law. And not, do not have the law. They are a law to themselves. Okay. What is it? Instinctively. Literally the Greek says by nature. But the, the, the rendering there instinctively is good. In other words, intuitively. Intuitively. Um, a, f- a guy that w- with whom I worked when I was a computer operator. Working my way before I went to the police department in, in uh, uh, Dallas. Uh, I didn't work in Dallas the police department. But I was when I was a computer operator at the University of Texas Health Science Center. Medical Computing Resources, and I went to UTHS uh, uh, CDMCRC. <laughs> Say that fast three times, and you get a gold star. The uh, he, this guy was a maintainer. He was like he, he was into electronics and stuff like that. He loved it, and that's what he did. And he I, one day he was doing something, and I noticed this major league scarring on the inside of his hand. It was his left hand, and I said, "What?" What happened there? He said, oh, he said, uh, several years ago, he said, I, I, I used to love to build electronic things and components. And he said, I even paid the kids in the neighborhood to bring me electronic stuff that they found, capacitors and, 
and you know resistors and you know stuff like that and he said I'd give him a nickel or whatever so that I could play with it and put it in stuff and everything and he said one kid brought me something and he said he, he said it looked at, on the outside kind of like a, a like a capacitor and he said I gave him a nickel for it and when he handed it to me he said I even said aloud out of my mouth that's a blasting cap he intuitively knew what it was. His mind didn't know what it was because later he got that out and without thinking was holding it, thinking it was a capacitor and he hooked it up to electricity to charge it. And when he did, it exploded and tore up his hand. But he said it was the weirdest thing. He said, I remember specifically when that kid gave me that thing, I even said out of my mouth, that's a blasting cap. You know, our conscience will talk to us. The Spirit will talk to us. So, well, what's the difference between our conscience leading us and the Holy Spirit leading us? For all intents and purposes, you know, we are to obey either one. When the Holy Spirit speaks to us, it will have a stronger punch to it. But, the, but when, when our conscience is talking to us, we do detect it and it is not to be ignored. Everybody say amen. Because that is that instinctive part of us. You know, that's what it, because it comes from the deepest part of our nature. And it is, we, it is what Immanuel Kant might have called the categorical imperative that we obey it. Romans chapter 8 and verse 12 says this. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. And he goes on to say, for if you're living according to the flesh, you must die. But I want you to notice that we are under obligation. Some people think God doesn't put any kind of obligatory. And okay, let me let me rephrase that because obliged has fallen out of, you know, it's coming the words come into disuse, but it is our duty to obey the spirit. It is our duty to say no to the flesh. Because if we say yes to the flesh, it brings death. How many of you are with me here? It is a, you know, a, the, an, an obligation. God's law is universal. God's law is always best. When he commands something, it is to be obeyed. To disobey is sin. Some of that is cultural. Some of it is instinctual. Some of it is training. I mean, some of it, you know, we, our, our consciences grow up. We kind of absorb the value system of the world and the culture around us. But then God comes in and begins to renew, first of all, with the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit moves into your spirit at the new birth, your conscience goes from death into life. And so it, it, can, it still needs to be trained. Don't get me wrong. It still needs to be trained. But it will lead you in the right direction uh, the vast majority of the time. In fact, James 4.17, James says, Therefore, to the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. We look at that and we go, well, yeah. But what we don't see is that the word translated know or knows in this case, in the Greek, is the word oida, which means to know intuitively. In other words, for the one who knows in his or her gut the right thing to do and doesn't do it, it's error, it's sin. It's this visceral thing that is within us. This, you know, Jesus even said it on the last day of the great feast. He said, he who comes to me, 
you know, uh, I will give him living water and, and it will become in him out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And the word innermost being is from the word koilia in the Greek, which literally means intestines right down here. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord searching out all the inward parts of the belly over in Proverbs. Failure. Um, how many of you have ever, ever had done something that you knew you shouldn't have done and your conscience really started pestering you? Good. That means your conscience is healthy. And I'm telling you, I have given a name to my conscience. Nag. <laughs> nag, 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 nag. And thank God for it. <laughs> I mean, it never gives up. Your conscience, in fact, the very word conscience, and so we'll give the young director back there a, uh, a workout following uh, the wayward pastor. The word conscience is a compound word. Con, coming from the Latin root, meaning with, and science, coming from the Latin word, meaning knowledge. So this isn't direct knowledge. It is something that is with it. It is something that is an adjunct. It is something that is, um, you know, uh, uh, an appurtenance, a very, very important one. And in fact, it has no, you know, it, it has very little to do with, nothing to do actually with our soul. It has, it is, you know, we, these are our deepest convictions which ride shotgun with the intellect. A dead human spirit, that is someone who is not born again, who is apart from God, will produce a grossly deficient conscience. Because they do not have the life and the nature of God. They do not have the Holy Spirit living within them. There are many tribes, you know, whether they were American Indians or whether they're Africans or, you know, or in, you know, or, uh, Asian tribes and everything. That because of the enmity, you know, we were talking about it the other day about how certain teams have changed their names, you know, because they didn't want to offend Native Americans. There are no Native Americans. Yes, the Native Americans in my heritage were here to meet the Mayflower when they arrived and all that kind of stuff. But uh, all humanity came from the other side of the world. It's just that the Native Americans arrived much earlier than the Europeans. And the Native Americans did not get along with each other. Whether they were, Crow, you know, they were Pawnee or Crow or Sioux or Chickasaw, Choctaw, Creek, Seminole, Osage, uh, you know, Arapaho, Cheyenne, and they, they warred with each other. All right. And they would see, and th the same is, this is true of tribes in Africa, the same is true in Europe, you know, uh, of all, and that is, you're not one of our people, therefore you don't, you know, I, you, you don't matter. You're a nun person. You're not, you know, uh, killing you would be, uh, would be considered uh, meritorious and rewardable in my tribe and probably vice versa. That is a conscience that's deficient. Amen. 
Everybody, you know, now they would have their conscience would say we need to be kind or whatever to the people of our tribe. But in the Christian, the conscience has a new foundation. First, it is the spirit of the living God who comes into us at the new birth. And then what do we do? We begin to renew our mind with the word and we begin to train our conscience with the word. And if you want to hear and if we want to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit walking through our lives, being attentive to the conscience becomes very, very strategic. God wants me to obey my conscience. Everybody say amen. Hebrews, again, 10 and 22, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Where does the Holy Spirit live? He lives in our heart. He lives in our spirit. We know that from Galatians 4, 6. And Romans 9, 1 says, what did Paul say? I am telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit. Now, in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5, what does Paul say? But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. What is a good conscience? A good conscience is one that is obeyed. Note the key words of this passage. Pure heart, good conscience, sincere faith. 1 Timothy 3, 8 and 9. What does he say concerning deacons? Talking about service. It's service in the church. Positions of service within God's church. Deacons likewise must be men of dignity. Not double-tongued. Or addicted to much wine. Or fond of sordid gain. But holding to the mystery of the faith. With what? A clear conscience. A good conscience is a clear conscience. It's a requirement for divine service. Or 1 Peter 2.19. And when he's talking about suffering. For righteousness sake. He says. For this finds favor. If for the sake of conscience toward God. A man bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. Emperor worship was rampant in the, uh, in the uh, Roman world. And every year you had to go and offer a pinch of incense to the emperor and say Caesar is Lord. And Christians, those who did so, were considered lapsed. And many said, I can't do that. My conscience will not allow me to elevate anyone, even to the level of my God, much less above him. Amen. Um, you know, uh, when we'll come to Titus chapter 1 and verses 15 and 16. We just read that a minute ago. To the pure, all things are pure, but I want to add some to it. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Both their heart and their mind and their conscience are defiled. They profess, now here's what happens when that happens. They profess to know God, but by their deeds, they deny Him. Being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. Wow. A defiled conscience. How many of you have a computer? How many of you have ever had the joy of a corrupted hard drive? Oh my gosh. I, my computer on my desk had, you know, 
was it's a good computer, but you know they, the company that built it, put in a hard drive that has a reputation for failure. I didn't know that, and I came in one day and turned it on and nothing. I mean, it wasn't the blue screen of death, but it, <laughs> but it it wouldn't boot, you know, it wouldn't boot up, and so I called the. Guys over here at Albatross, you know, Jason, I, I said, man, you know, I said, it's, and he said, bring it in. And he said, we'll see what we can save off of it. And so he, you know, I took it over there. And after a while, his partner called me and said, well, I've got bad news. We have not been able to save anything off of this hard drive. It is dead as a hammer. And I said, well, it's a good thing I backed it up last night, huh? And he said, you did? I said, yes, because I've got a program that does that. And he said, so it's completely backed up, the whole hard drive? And I said, yes. He said, do you realize how rarely we hear that? He said, most of the time, when we tell people this, you can hear weeping and gnashing of teeth on the other side because all their data is gone. And... Uh, I said, well, no, I've, I've got a backup. He said, is it, on a, is it on a hard drive? I said, yeah, I'll bring it to you. And so they were able to restore the whole thing. And I got it back with a hard drive that works. And all my data was there. Yay! I wish I could say that happened every time. Because I've had failure. But see, having been a computer operator in the past, I know how important backing up your data is. Well, what is, how do I, you know, how do I, Corrupt my conscience by violating it. If I have an inner standard and it's telling me and I want to do A and I do B intentionally knowing that A is correct, that is the first step into hypocrisy. Why am I so quiet this morning? I'm telling you, when you start talking about the conscience, you're getting down where we all live. I mean, and it, it, that conscience is to be held inviolable. Because even a weak conscience is to be obeyed. You know, he said, well, I, you know, one of the things he talks about was how that if somebody who has a weak conscience sees you who have knowledge dining in an idol's temple, will he not gain the courage to violate his conscience by doing the same thing because he thinks it's okay, but his conscience is still being violated. And so he is now in a position of being self-condemned for having sinned. Well, what needs to happen here? That brother or sister that has the weak conscience, what, what, okay, let's just, let's just put my, I'm going to be the weak, the weaker brother. Okay. And so when, you know, I go, you know, and the reason that they, okay, let, let me set the, set the table <laughs> here. And that's this. In these temples, people used to, in, in the ancient world, people used to bring animals for slaughter. One of the, one of the, uh, one of the, Tarbolianism was one of the things that was popularly practiced. And you might say, what is that? Well, what they would do is you would bring your ox in and you would go down under, they had a, a, a kind of a 
area there, a little where the ox would walk, and underneath it was a hollowed out place, you know, where the, you had steps where you could go down there. And there was a grate there where you could look up through it and you could see everybody and everything. And they would lead the ox over the grate and then they would slash its throat. And of course, blood would just gush out, you know, go through the grate and then cover the people who were below. And this blood was supposed to have some sort of, you know, redeeming value or something of that nature. It's all ancient. But here's the interesting part. After the sacrifice, and it, not just in Tarbolinism, but any of them. After the sacrifice, the carcass of the, the, the lamb or the goat or the bull would then be moved back to a different part of the temple where it would be butchered and cut up and then cooked and served as a meal, you know, for people coming into the restaurant that was in the temple. And that was a revenue producing way. That was the way a lot of those temples would bring, be able to bring in extra money is, what, you know, serving up the sacrifices which people had brought in. So that's why Paul talks about, well, this meat was sacrificed to idols. Well, you know, when you go over to the barbecue place and they bring you your ribs and you're sitting there and somebody says, oh, by the way, this meat was sacrificed to idols. They've got some sort of a cult working here out back before they, and so then they butcher it and smoke it and everything. That's kind of the, the idea there. He says, now you who have knowledge know that an idol is nothing. And you know that there isn't, you know, that, and that, you know, he who eats, you know, it's okay if he eats. He doesn't let everybody do what, you know, everybody follow their own conscience because he who eats, eats for God's glory. He who does not eat, does not eat for God's glory. In other words, that's what my conscience. And so somebody, I walk, I'm the weaker brother and I walk in and here's Jim sitting there in the restaurant at the temple of Zeus because it is the best restaurant in town, you know, and he and Dolly are, are eating a porterhouse steak. And I look at that and I go, but that's been sacrificed to idols. What do I do? First of all, I do not condemn Jim because that's between him, God, and his conscience. And if Jim says, well, come on over and have food, have sit down, you know, here, you know, we've got plenty. And I say, oh, thank you. You know, he doesn't condemn me because I only have the faith to eat vegetables. I'm using illustrations directly out of the New Testament here. Okay. So what do I do? Well, what do I, I begin to get into the word. I begin to study. I begin to pray. I begin to let God deal with me and say whether or not it's okay for me to eat the meat. And when I train my conscience, now let me shift venues on this idea just a little bit so you get a better idea. What if I am in a cessationist uh, 
denomination, one that does not believe in the gifts of the Spirit, one does not believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for today or that it is not accompanied by speaking in tongues. And I've been taught all of my Christian life that speaking in tongues is of the devil and that it is evil and that I should run away from it. And all at once, several people around me in whom I have confidence and friends of mine are suddenly filled with the Spirit and they start telling me, you need this experience. (gasps) Believe me, that's not a small hurdle For people to overcome. So what do they have to do? They have to go to the word. They have to pray. Might not even be bad to do a little fasting. And then maybe watch these people. Who suddenly had this demonic experience. To see. If it's really demonic or not. Because you're going to have to deal with that. Before you can come to the place. That you can have faith. To receive. You know. when, when, When Paul says. Blessed is he who does not condemn himself and what he enjoys. I mean, if I'm somebody who believes that eating meat is sinful and that it's a travesty of some sort, then when, you know, when when the host brings out steak or ribs or or uh, grilled hamburgers or is anybody getting hungry besides me? I got to keep an eye on the clock there. I mean, everybody's starting to salivate. Uh, you know, like that. I've got a dilemma on my hands. Now, if I'm doing it for health reasons, it's one thing. But if I believe it's morally wrong, I have an ethical problem. Because the moral person says this is wrong. The ethical person actually doesn't do it. How many of you are with me here? Ethics are our morals expressed. And so... Dealing with my conscience, realizing that, you know, I mean, um, (laughs) when we were in Germany. Now, I was not, I was brought up in a home, in a denomination that did not believe that drinking was a sin. And so I... I didn't believe that, but I, you know, I always had that, like, you know, if I were really a Christian, I wouldn't do this and everything. And when I came into a group of people, they were holiness oriented. And so they encouraged that. And then I was in Germany where I would see German pastors going and sitting down to a meal and having a, a Schulteis beer with their meal. How can God use a man like that? It's impossible. God, you have a problem here. And yet I knew these guys were anointed of the Holy Spirit. I knew. And I am not telling you, go home and drink a beer. (laughs) I am a teetotaler. I will tell you that. And I, you know, I don't drink any, you know, I mean, I don't even drink cough syrup. And it's not because, you know, I, I am not that strict. I mean, if I wanted to, if there was alcohol in the cough syrup, I would, you know, it's, it's you know. The Bible doesn't, the, the Bible, and I'm just going to be honest with you. The Bible doesn't say that, that drinking wine, what it, he tells Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, you know, no longer drink water exclusively, but take a little wine occasionally for the sake of your frequent ailments. Well, from, you know, Timothy was raised in a, in a home with a Jewish mother and a Greek father. And I promise you, he didn't grow up drinking nothing but water. And if you want to drink grape juice after the weather turns cold, it's going to be fermented. 
because they didn't have refrigerators. Somebody said, well, Jesus didn't drink uh, wine. He only drank grape juice. Dude, that's ignorance gone to seed. That is physically impossible. You know, he carried his, he carried his refrigeration truck around with him to keep his grape juice. No, because the very, I'm getting off the subject, but if you've ever looked at a grape and you've seen the little gray stuff on the, on the, on the surface of the grape, that is a, that is an organism, a, a yeast that when you smash the grape, the fermentation process starts immediately. And so it, you know, you're not going to have back in the ancient world, you're not going to have grape juice without it being becoming new wine, which was the sweet wine and then eventually aged wine. And so here are these German pastors drinking their, we were talking about the other night, a Schulteis beer. Um, that was the real popular when I was there. Schulteis, you know, and they squirt some raspberry juice in it. And it was known as a Berliner White, a Berliner Weisse. And their beer is very different than our beer. Their beer is very, very smooth. It'll sneak up on you, you know, because you can drink one or two and everything just keeps getting funnier and funnier. And you don't even know really for sure what hits you, you know. And so here are these German pastors and German Christians, solid people, tongue talkers, drinking their beer and rubbing their bellies and speaking of the goodness of God. And, you know, for a, a teetotaler kid from the Midwest, it's like, man, I've, you know, I, I'm, I'm in a conundrum here. So what do I do? I say, Lord, is it OK for me to drink? Well, do you want to? No, not really. Then don't. But don't condemn someone who has a glass of wine with their, gosh, I'm all over the place today, am I not? But we are talking about a conscience. So if I walk in, if I walk into a restaurant and you're sitting there and you have a glass of wine on your table, you don't have to go. <gasps> I don't want pastor to see me drinking this. Why? Because it's wine? No, because it costs a glass. <laughs> okay, we are going to talk about that. <laughs> no, it's your, it's, it, 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 it's, if the Lord, if you can do that with a clear conscience, great. Amen. And I hope if you have that kind of, that you're a tither. That's all I can say. <laughs> but we are to hold our conscience Inviolable. In other words, we are always to obey it. We are not to defile it. 1 Corinthians 8 and 7. Not all men have this knowledge, but some being accustomed to the idol to now, talking about the eating of food, uh, sacrificed to idols, eat food as if it were sacrificed to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. In other words, I, what, is the, what was the meal? It was fellowship with that God. And the blood of that bull in the Tarbolian came on me. Its life came on me. And now I'm going to get to eat its flesh and, and actually consume it and, it come and, and, and be at union with it. Well, we realize that is not the case because we know that an idol is nothing. But at the same time, Paul says, I don't want you fellowshipping with demons. We just read it, 1 Corinthians, or actually... Uh, 1 Timothy 1 and 19. He says, 
keeping faith and a good conscience. We didn't just read it. Um, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected. When we reject a good conscience, we will suffer shipwreck in regard to our faith. People who ignore their conscience are training themselves to ignore the Holy Spirit. First Timothy or Second Timothy chapter four, verses one and two. The Spirit explicitly says that in the later times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Look at this: by means of the hypocrisy of liars, seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. We are seeing that today in the hyper grace movement. People say, no, it's okay. It is not okay. And their own hearts tell them that it's not okay. I'm going to tell you out there that people who decide they want to be a different gender, they know in their heart of hearts, I promise you they know in their heart of hearts that that is wrong. And to say nothing of, of uh, homosexual acts. They know. And that guilt that is in, that, that it's self-inflicted, you know, it's their own conscience, that because it's writ, the law of God is written on their hearts, causes them to, and, and I'm going to go into all this because I don't want to get censored, but the fact is that they, they think that if we celebrate and we, with them and we, we acclaim them and all that, that somehow it'll wipe all that out. It will not. That Going back to, it says, seared in their own consciences with a branding iron. How many of you have ever seared your finger? And I use this illustration on a regular basis, but it, it, I can't improve on it. And that is, that, you know, you, uh, I, when, when I was a kid, I learned if I needed to iron something. When I say kid, I was a teenager. I, if I needed to iron something, you know, I can't tell how hot it is. You know, you put it down and everything. That would, be the, that would be the wise way to do it. But for some reason, I did the touch test. You lick your finger, you know, and if it does that, then it's hot enough. Now, the problem with that is that if it's way too hot, that even that quick exposure is enough to sear your, to burn your finger. And it sears, and there are a tremendous number of nerve endings in the pads at the end of your finger. That's also true, believe it or not, at the tip of your nose and your lips. Do not test an iron with your nose <laughs> or your lips. Okay? Hear me. Don't do it. And I'd go, ow! You know, like that. And I could actually feel the skin there was seared. It, was, it, it had gotten tougher and it was like that. And it, when you would touch it, was those, those nerve endings were seared. And as a result... They were, they were, they, I couldn't feel it. I could feel pressure, but I couldn't feel touch. Jim, come here. Okay, Levi, I'm going down front. Now, if I am walking with a very, very, and I'm doing everything. And Paul said, I do everything to maintain a clear conscience before God. All right. If I'm walking that way, here's, here's, here's the Holy Spirit. Bet you didn't know he wore a purple shirt, did you? <laughs> anyway, here's the Holy Spirit. 
And if I'm going along and my conscience is clear, all he has to do is just reach up and, and tap me on the shoulder. And I feel it, that gentle sense of touch. But if I'm seared, he has to grab me and drag me. He has to, he has, he has to put pressure on me. Thank you. How many of you know what I'm saying there? Now, if you ramp pressure up enough, there's a, there's a word for it in Greek. Phlepsis, which we translate tribulation. And if you go to the Psalms, you will see that many times when, when, when believers begin to stray, God will begin to deal with them. In fact, it even says in Hebrews that, uh, you know, we are, that our Father will discipline us. And it even uses the word mastigo, which means to scourge. El spanko. And I, you know, I heard a preacher say a long time ago, the scripture says, he who spares the rod hates his son, and my daddy loved me. <laughs> and he never lied to me by telling me this is going to hurt me more than it does you. He knew better. Because he, he was a junior high school teacher and he knew how to lay the wood to you. I, um, I lived through it. Oh, in, you know, if I'm ignoring, you know, when David says, I want to be a man of integrity, what does that mean? I am obeying my conscience. I am integrated. I am fully locked in. I'm not disheveled and, and piecemealed. I, I, that's what integrity is. It's when I know something in my heart, I'll walk in it. Are we perfect at this? No. But it's... And, you, you, the illustration that I've used for many, many years, man, I'm really giving Levi a workout today, I want you to know. The illustration that I've uh, used for many, many years is think of your conscience. How many of you remember this 3D thing? You know, and you see, and then this side will pop out, and then this side will pop out, and then, you know, like that, and all that. This is a cube, and I got this from a, a, a whoops, I got this from a young lady, uh, a, a fellow teenager in my youth group when I was growing up. And this is a, this, this is your conscience. And, then see, yeah. And think of it as a cube of cheese. And it is rotating. It's alive. And whenever I violate my conscience, a little corner of it gets nicked off. Now, then I violate my conscience again. Then again. Then again. Now, when I repent and I come to God, He restores that evil conscience and through his forgiveness and through fellowship with him and restores the, uh, restores the corners so that I maintain that sensitivity because nicking that stuff off hurts. And that's when my conscience goes, hey! But if I don't come back to him and I continually violate it, then it becomes corrupted and eventually 
there isn't anything hanging out for the knife to catch. And my conscience is a revolving ball. Does that help? If I want to hear from the Spirit, I've got to keep that conscience, my conscience intact. All right? Because it will negate my faith to violate it. In fact, in Titus 1 and 15, where it says, To the pure all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, corrupted, nothing is pure. Both their mind and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God. So in other words, oh, you know, yes, we know the Holy Spirit. And so we're, in, and this is a noble thing. And, and we're going to support something that is completely unscriptural because we, you know, the, we've made a decision that we know the, the, the will of God and we know the character of God better than the Bible. And it says, but by their deeds they deny him being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. It's shipwreck. It's shipwreck. It's a wide open, uh, wide open, you know, uh, wide open door for the enemy. So we have to train our consciences. How do we do that? Um, you know, again, we talked about conscience being weak. Well, Hebrews 5.14, and I'm reading this from the NIV 1984, says this. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good and evil. Meditate on that word and let the Holy Spirit do the changing. I don't violate my conscience. I wait for the Holy Spirit to make it stronger. I can hold to the mystery of the faith. That way I can hold the mystery of the faith. And so... Uh, 1 Corinthians 10 and 28. But if anyone should say to you, this meat is sacrificed to idols, don't eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for conscience sake. When in doubt, leave it out. I mean, that's pretty simple. When in doubt, leave it out. If our musicians would come, we're going to bring this in for a landing. Have you learned anything today? I know this is, this is pretty heavy stuff, but I'm telling you, we live in a culture that, you know, their conscience will allow them to do anything. Why? Because it's been so oft violated. And drug abuse, I'm telling you, altered states of consciousness. I, we have, here in Missouri, we have uh, recreational marijuana on the ballot this, this November. I don't know if you're aware of this, but this ain't, this, this weed they're selling ain't your father's weed. And when you go to buy it, you know, and brownies and cookies and gummies and all this other stuff, we were talking about this before service, the THC content in, you know, the weed back when I was in school was about 2%. Now, did you know that the human body will build up a tolerance to it? You betcha. And so it requires stronger and stronger and stronger in order to have the same effect. And now you can buy uh, uh, the uh, THC in forms that are 10, 20, 30 times stronger. The hospitals are seeing a dramatic rise in uh, marijuana-induced psychosis and schizophrenia. In the states where it's legal... 
the number of car accidents where that has been involved are dramatically rising. And it is a proven fact that it changes your brain. It changes your personality. And that young people using it uh, are damaging their brains because their brains are not yet fully developed. Your brain doesn't fully develop until you're at least 25 years of age, or in my case, 70. <laughs> and so your brain, it, it, they say it, it will shave 5 to 10 points off of your IQ. It will inhibit you from being able to think clearly and critically. It will inhibit you from, uh, it will inhibit our, our motivation. Don't tell me that doesn't affect us hearing our spirit. Because it does. And we're dealing with a culture that is running away from God as fast as they can. We're trying to be as lawless as we can possibly be. We're celebrating things that are an abomination in the eyes of God. And we're drugging ourselves up so that we don't, our consciences don't bother us. Don't even get me started on Xanax and all that stuff. We need to train our spirit by, virtue, by use. And when in doubt, what's the last part of that? Leave it out. Acts chapter 24, rather, verse 16, Paul standing before the uh, uh, Sanhedrin said, In view of this, I also do my best to maintain a blameless conscience before both God and men. When you're watching something on television, it suddenly takes a turn and your conscience starts going, eh, 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 eh. Nag, nag, nag. I've actually had to get up and walk out of movies. And it's been a long time since I've been to a movie because it's getting to the point that there's nothing worth seeing. But, you know, I've actually had to get up and, and walk out of a movie because, you know what? I am not going to expose myself to this. My conscience, you know, I'm not going to, I've learned not to tell my conscience, you shut up and sit over there. Well, I've learned that for two reasons. Number one, because it doesn't please God. And number two, because my conscience will not obey that command. It will continue to bother me. And that is exactly what it's trained by God to do. That's the voice of my human spirit. And the spirit within, you know, and the Holy Spirit within me. You know, I've had, I've had the Holy Spirit speak to me in audible voices. On a couple of occasions. Saying, very profound things to me like pick up this hitchhiker or go to school here next semester. Things like that. Things that were just huge, right? Earth shaking. But every day I have that witness of the Spirit within me. You do too. For it says in Romans eight sixteen that the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are Children of God. And if children, heirs. Heirs also. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus. How important is it to know that? To know. I have never doubted. Since I've been filled with the Spirit, I have never doubted. Even in my worst time that I was a child of God and that I was, that I was on my way to heaven. Never doubted it. Because my spirit is clear on that. It's firm on that. And with the heart man believes... Not with the soul, with the spirit, we believe. Faith is out of the spirit. So when I corrupt, well, in fact, I'm just, um, 
wasn't planning on doing this, but y'all love me anyway, right? Where Paul in the Second Corinthians says, Don't be bound together with unbelievers, for what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? What harmony has Christ with Belial? And, or what has the believer in common with the unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? He's saying, steer clear of that stuff. For we are the temple of the living God. Just as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate. Boy, are we hearing this today in the spirit to come out of Babylon that we may not uh, receive the payment for her sins. Come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. Don't touch what is unclean and I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. That kind of preaching has been lost in a lot of places today. And yes, I know it's hard. And yes, I know it's in your face. And yes, I know it's not necessarily easy to listen to. But I'm telling you, in the days to come, we're going to really be glad we did listen. Because we're walking behind the armor and the shield rather than being just completely exposed to whatever flaming missile is coming in because we have decided to discard and have suffered our clear conscience and have suffered shipwreck in regards to the faith. The shield of what? Faith. No shield. Or we've turned our back where there is no armor. No protection whatsoever. Great and mighty things are ahead. And God has been training us to listen to him. And following that conscience is paramount within that. He said, what one thing can I do to really help me hear from God better? Follow your conscience. Obey your conscience. And meditate on that word. And let God shape it. Those of you watching by internet. This was a strong message today for which I do not apologize. Because, I, I, you know, I don't think it's overstated to say that in the days to come, this could be the difference between life and death. And I know that sounds like, oh, you're just blowing it up out of proportion. Well, maybe, but we'll see. I think it'll stand. I think it'll age well. I think that statement will age well. But you've got to know Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, your conscience is liable to let you do just about anything. And the way you get your conscience started down that right path is to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and be born again so that the Holy Spirit himself, the Spirit of the living God, comes to dwell within your heart, within your spirit. And all things become new in your spirit. The way you do that and this isn't a formula. This is a prayer. This is where you cry out to God and you say, Lord, I believe that Jesus of Nazareth is your son. And I believe that you've raised him from the dead. And you say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord, not just my Savior, but my Lord as well as my Savior. And you make the decision that from this day forward, 
you're going to follow him. You're going to obey your conscience. You're going to get into a church. You're going to become a part of the community of faith. You're going to believe that what the, you're going to sit at the feet of anointed teaching. You're going to grow in regard to faith and you're going to become a disciple, not just a convert, a disciple and walk that out. And believer who is also watching, if you're a convert, thank God you're going to heaven. But I'm here to tell you that you need to become a disciple if you're not doing that. Where you are disciplining yourself to be to walk according to the word. Your conscience will talk to you not just about moral things. It'll talk to you about everyday things. My conscience will not let me go out and buy a brand new car. Believe me, I would love to do that. But my conscience, because I know what the Lord has said to me, and my conscience will remind me of that. I'm just using that as a practical example. I'm not trying to put that on you or anyone else in here. But that's just me. I got one car that's old enough to vote. But it still runs. Hallelujah. And you know what? I don't have a payment book on it. That's just practical stuff. I'm here to tell you. There'll be a time that maybe your spouse speaks to you sharply and you're ready to give them and you're right. Oh man, you are absolutely right. You are standing on solid ground and your conscience goes, don't do it. You've been at the post office and you're standing in that line that never moves. And you notice that the clerk has been kibitzing, we used that word earlier today, with all of these people. And you're in a hurry. You need to go and they're taking too much time and you finally get up there and it's op your opportunity to give this individual both barrels and ask for the postmaster and fill out your complaint form. And that little voice in your spirit says, be nice, be sweet. That's what we're talking about. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, let's all stand. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you that you have given us, that we are spirits just like you, and our spirits talk to us, talk to our, our souls. Help us to train our minds, to be transformed, so that, Lord, we not only hear, but we obey. Because you get a Christian whose soul and spirit are on the same page. The flesh hasn't got a prayer of being successful and leading us into sin. And in the name of Jesus, I pray over those watching by web as well as everyone here. That Lord, we've taken, we, we probably knew all of this, but it's been good to hear it again. And in Jesus' name, we give you the glory and thank you for your help. Amen and amen. We hope this message has been a great blessing to you and has helped build your faith in Jesus. We encourage you to visit our app, Independence Christian Center, on your cell phone available from the Apple App Store or Android, Google Play. You can also find us on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon, YouTube, and Facebook, again, under Independence Christian Center, or at our website, iccfamily, all one word, dot O-R-G, iccfamily, dot O-R-G. Our heart's desire here 
is to labor with the Lord in building His body. Until next time, may God's very best be yours.